the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon on a very rainy, ugly day here. So let's uh, start thinking of charity. If universal charity ever prevailed, earth would be a heaven and hell a fable. A rich man without charity is a rogue. Perhaps it would be difficult, no matter, to prove that he is also a fool. Charity begins at home and justice begins next door. That was Charles Dickens. (laughs) And then in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. The Beatles. Anyway, uh, I keep, you know, re- reversing back to my uh, uh, my webpage, and if you go to WHK fourteen twenty, go to local podcast down, you just go directly from the Smart Investor Show to my uh, uh, webpage, and look, there's some good stuff on here. You know, first of all, you know, the Bulletin Board has Rob Schleimer's work uh, on a technical basis every week. He, he puts out something called Roadmap. It's excellent. I use it on the show, um, but also, on the insights, there's a banner up top that says insights. And, uh, you know, th- there's some good articles this week. Uh, for example, Out with a Whimper. It's about, uh, you know, what the Federal Reserve's doing. How to develop an income plan. I've been working with people on that right now. Uh, and the de-dollarization. A lot of people have called in and asked that question. You know, what about the dollar? What about the dollar? And it has quite a bit to do with that. So, by the way, under bulletin board on the on the first page, there's a newsletter, it's a weekly newsletter. So, if you want to get updated on what happened in the market, that's a good place to start. And uh, uh, if you would like, you know, we make available to people who call in um, our ADR list, our top ideas, our dividend growth product. Uh, dividend, you know, I think the dividend stocks have underperformed this year, and I'm going to talk about. You know the capitalization market versus the uh, equal weight market in, in a second or two. The prime income list; these are all good things for people who are trying to produce income in their portfolio. Uh, also, our small cap list, because uh, I think that that may be a place where you have to pay unbelievable attention uh, going forward. Okay, so uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, look. You know, Lori Calvacino, our head strategist this week, tackled some hot topics. And some of the most interesting things that crossed her desk this week were two big things that you need to know. Number one, actively managed only long funds are underperforming their benchmarks for the the year in most of our U.S. categories we're tracking. Now, last year, it was the value funds that outperformed the index. Pretty drastically, by the way. So this is kind of interesting. Um, so they're underperforming their benchmarks for the year in most of the U.S. 
categories that we track anyway, okay? With small cap emerging as a bright spot. Now, Lori used to be the head small cap strategist for somebody for a pretty long time, so she knows what she's talking about when it comes to small caps. So second, I, and I think this is kind of interesting, the cross currents for U.S. equities are getting more complicated based on our, our high frequency indicators. And, and note that we'll have some thoughts on earnings in a separate publication. You know, uh, she's talking about, she actually put one out this Friday, that was, uh, this last Friday, that were pretty good. Now, one of the things I said last week, and I got, I'm just correcting myself so everybody knows, is that she raised her, her numbers for the S&P 500. Now, I would also suggest that Lori is not a screaming bull either, okay? Uh, so I'll just keep that up there. Now, uh, our charts of the week tackle a question that we've been discussing among ourselves uh, at RBC for some time now, especially the equity strategy team, is how is the performance of actively managed long-only funds and, and what has been a highly confusing start to the year on the buy side? And look, one of the problems, you know, and, and Rob Schleimer says this, and I'm just going to inject a little bit here if I may. Uh, he talks about rotation nation. And part of the problem is leadership has gone from, you know, back and forth. It was industrials, then it was oil, then, then it was the tech you know, group that just took off. And uh, the answer has been tough, particularly since the regional banking crisis when the mega cap tech related stocks went on a tear. When the lack of breadth has been creating some massive structural, uh, structural challenges for large cap and large cap growth managers in, in particular, you know, do you keep buying the tech stocks that are up big uh, or do you, there's some that haven't participated? Who knows? So, we reviewed the cumulative 2023 uh, performance of actively fund managers tracked by uh, several, well, EPF, EPEF, if you know who those, those, I mean, EPFR, I'm sorry, if you know who they are, they're uh, category people, in several different large and small cap categories and compared those returns to passively managed funds in the universe. The actively managed funds and passively managed funds used identical benchmarks. We found that large cap funds that benchmark the S&P 500 have been lagging in 2023 and that the gap between actively managed and passively managed funds widened significantly in the second quarter. Now, that's changed a little bit in the third quarter. So far, we'll see what happens. But trends were, were similar for funds that benchmark to the Russell 1000 gross and value indexes or indices, I'm sorry. So small cap managers have had an easier time keeping up with their benchmarks this year, but even there. Things haven't been easy. You know, the Russell 2000 and the Russell 2000 growth benchmarks are funded, uh, funds are underperforming for the year, though to a far lesser degree than what we're seeing in the large cap segment. Both have spent some decent amount of time this year uh, beating their benchmarks as the underperformance took hold near the end of the second quarter. Okay, so small cap funds have been the bright spot. Despite a rough start to the year, they began to outperform in late first quarter, and have sustained that outperformance into July. So, you know, what else jumps out to us, all right? Some, some data points are negative for U.S. equities, while others are positive, and it's, it's kind of, you know, which, which way do you lean? And some, some simply highlight a rotation leadership and attempts to begin, which, you know, could extend the rally quite a bit. So uh, individual investor sentiment, we talked about this last year, continues to creep towards what I call worrisome territory. If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, when everybody's bearish, Tim's bullish. 
And when everybody's bullish, Tim gets bearish, right? Uh, you know, for most of, of 2021 on the show, we kept saying, you know, the, you know, the we're overbought, we're overbought, we're overbought. And, and then, you know, back in September, we kind of said, hey, we think we're at a bottom. You know, that was Tim talking, nobody else, not me at RBC. So this indicator indicator was sending, uh, well, net bullishness hit 29% last week's AAI survey. Uh, survey. Uh, this indicator was sending a deeply contrarian but strong buy signal for the stocks at the start of the year. And it's typically signaled that U.S. equities are overbought when it crosses plus 30. So in favor of the bulls on a four-week rate, uh, four-week average, okay? So we expect that threshold to be relative, you know, hit relatively soon. But it's worth noting that other sentiment indicators aren't signaling overbought conditions or complacency just yet. So so the U.S. got a little ex- has gotten a little bit expensive relative to Europe. Uh, this is another data point we can put on uh, reasons to start worrying a little bit less. Uh, the weighted median forward PE of the S&P 500 is back to the peaks of the last few years relative to Europe. So this is similar to what we are seeing within the Russell 1000 for growth relative to value. Okay. So near-term economic expectations have continued to improve. On the positive side, the near-term GDP expectations have continued to uh, improve. Consensus real GDP forecast for the third quarter on a quarter-to-quarter basis have now moved into a slightly positive territory. I haven't seen that in a while. Leadership is starting to shift, although you know 2024 real GDP uh, P growth expectations have come in very slightly, the near-term improvement in GDP forecasts have helped drive the rotation in leadership within the U.S. equity markets. Banks are starting to outperform. Who would have thought that back in the fourth quarter? You know, I I bought a, a few things back then, uh, you know, and I can prove it. So I just say that, but only with a couple people who are crazy. And, and they're starting to outperform the NASDAQ 100, okay, with large and small cap. Uh, so financials and, and energy are starting to outperform, and growth is stalling relative to value in terms of style anyway, and, and small caps are starting to outperform large caps. Many of these non-sector trades have been hitting the extremes, not extremes we saw in recent years, let's put it that way, that foreshadowed uh, past inflection points. And overall, recovery and cyclical trades seem to be back on, so we'll just keep that in mind. And fund flows are starting to shift. You know, that's one thing we noticed. We're, we're suddenly seeing lots of shifts on weekly funds flows data we've been tra- uh, uh, tracking. And geographically, some of the regions that have been improving, U.S., Canada, and, and Japan, are losing intensity. And the U.S. growth funds are now seeing outflows, while the U.S. value funds are no longer getting less negative. So small caps are once again a bright spot with flows in improving for all styles there and for both active and passive. Within the small cap active, blend and value are showing the best uh, trends. Now, what I mean by that, blend is both value and growth and value is value, okay? So I think that's kind of important. Uh, and look, there, you know, we, we talked last week, there was three things you had to know. There's a rebound in consumer sentiment that's that's underway, explains a lot about the stock market this year. 
both for, you know, we've been recovering off of recession-like conditions since last year. And second, leadership by megatech tech favors is hitting past extremes. So just, you know, we've talked about that for a while. Third, other than things that jump out from our high-frequency indicators, investor sentiment continues to creep towards overbought, all right? So, you know, you got to remember that. And and on Friday, uh, two weeks ago, the preliminary July reading for consumer sentiment was, as tracked by the University of Michigan, came in much better than expected. You know, that prompts you as as a contrarian <laughs> to revisit the relationship between consumer sentiment and stock market outperformance. Nobody wanted to buy the market back in September. Consumer sentiment back then was terrible. Now the market's up, consumer sentiment's up. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so the question is, look, you know, the the leadership by mega cap tech favorites is hitting uh, past extremes. It's where it was when we started to worry about things. So, you know, I, I think we have found that when we looked at relative performance between the S&P 500 and a version of the index, which excludes the mega cap techs, the S&P 500 performance has been stalling around levels that marked the peak performance in 2022, uh, 2020, I'm sorry, and 2021. So we're seeing things in key trades like growth versus value, small versus large, banks versus NASDAQ, are nearing inflection points. And just keep that in the back of your head. And uh, uh, I did notice a couple things. Investor sentiment, like I said, it is a big indicator. So keep that in the back of your mind. And the other thing, Trump has been gaining momentum at DeSantis' expense. And Biden's polling has stabilized after a big taking a hit in the debt ceiling. Uh, and on the Republican side, Trump has been gaining the polls while DeSantis has faded a little bit. And trends are similar in betting markets as Trump, as Biden stabilized. So I'm not sure what that means. I was surprised in the Democratic side, both Newsom and Kennedy have gained a little ground on Biden. Uh, but that, you know, that's the polls. So remember, there's Iowa has a betting. You know, you can bet on on the polls. and. Uh, it's kind of interesting. And in the last week, we talked about low quality factors have started to pick, uh, started to perk up. All right. The Russell 1000, uh, you know, a few of the quality factor baskets we, we track have shifted back in favor of low quality. So smaller cap names are, are doing better. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to emphasize one other thing very, very quickly. And that is this. Uh, look. We talked about the cloud, and and I I'm going to emphasize this for several weeks now. They're talking about going from 599. This is RBC now, 599 billion in business in 2023 to one trillion in 2028. Folks, that's a big, that's a big, big growth rate. Okay, so cloud adoption. You know, people using private and public. Uh, things most people are using two thirds are using public, but about forty five percent are starting to use a private cloud. So it's going to get interesting, and I think they're going to concentrate on cloud cost management, and the cloud regions and locations that we're looking at are Europe and Asia. All right, and I think you have to be involved in generational AI. And if you're not in AI, I would suggest that we have 
you know, we've talked about this on the show several times. I think I'm going to actually make it uh, available to the public is the cooling systems in cloud. You know, those chips run hot. You know, the, the NVIDIA chips and everybody else's chips, they run hot. Okay? They got to cool them down. We have a so- solution for that. All right? So, and the other thing I think is semiconductors and, cl- you know, the cloud provider initiatives include include pursuing custom chip designs and adapting high-performance chips for just specific workloads. So, uh, I, that, that's, that's very, very important. And I, I think it's... A, it's really unusual. Now, one of the things that we talked about uh, last week was banks. And banks have historically performed well when interest rates rise. When they do rise, banks are quick to pass on interest rate increases to borrowers. The spread widens. They make more money, okay? But slow to pass them on to depositors, which seems to be happening right now. Thus, the net interest margins tend to increase. In fact, in late June, the UK uh, Chancellor of the Ex- uh, Check our Jeremy Hunt met with bank bosses to discuss how the reluctant banks had been to pass on higher returns to savers. Uh, Br- Britain's four largest banks were then offering rates of less than 1.35% on easy access accounts, where close to two thirds of the household deposits are held. At the time, the Bank, in- bank of England had raised the bank rate to 4.5%. Mm. So with the delay between raising borrowing costs and deposit rates, banks' profitability can improve as long as the long lend- lending cycle remains benign. Okay? Hey, let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Across Ohio, we the people are speaking out against a small minority of radical abortion activists who are trying to hijack our Ohio Constitution. They want to cement abortion without any restrictions into the Constitution. They want to abolish our parental rights. They want to handcuff our elected officials and our governor from passing and signing laws that reflect the values of we the people. We the people of Ohio are not New York and we are not California. We, the people, are proud of our Ohio values, faith, family, and freedom. On Tuesday, August 8th, vote yes on Issue 1 in this special election to protect your family values and our Constitution. We, the people, say vote yes on August 8th. We, the people, say vote yes on August 8th. Vote yes on August 8th. Paid for by the One Nation Under God Foundation, a tax-exempt 501c3 committee. The Seculo crew sees escalation. With a more dangerous weaponry prepared to, uh, by the Biden administration to be sent to the Ukrainians, the cluster bombs is what we're talking about here. This escalates the tension and escalates the conflict significantly. And again, there is no end in sight. Seculo, weeknights at 6, right before Brandon Tatum at 7 on AM 1420. The answer. Or on iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216 774 8906. 
RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we, we were talking about banks, and I think this is important because this could be a you know some kind of buying opportunity maybe, but remember, we, we talked about the European banks on the last uh, sector of the show and uh, or section of the show. So European banks have barely outperformed while the UK banks, while they perceived as avoiding most of these issues, have held up better, okay? Uh, largely thanks to international banks performing well as banks catering only to the d- domestic market sc- struggled, okay? So look, the ongoing U.S. earnings season is providing or will probably provide a pretty useful temperature check for the sector. <laughs> Gerard Cassidy, who's RBC's capital markets bank analyst, head of bank equity strategy, he's on TV a lot. Uh, CNBC has him on a lot. Expects a subdued earnings season overall. He cautions that due to the regional bank crisis, the traditional expansion in the net interest margin at this point in the cycle may not have materialized as banks had to pass on interest rate in- increases to depositors more swiftly than they would in usual to avoid flight of, of capital, okay? So while the largest banks have mostly avoided this squeeze, the jury is still out on the smaller and regional competitors. So what Cassidy expects is, is credit quality to remain strong for now, with the exception of commercial real estate sector. But with credit losses still at unsustainable low levels, he anticipates the loan loss provisions to start to increase from the second quarter of this year. All right. So compared to, to prior periods, as banks start to build up their loan loss reserves, most banks still factor in a mild recession in their outlooks. Isn't that interesting, huh? So as for the strength of the, the banking sector capital base, the results of the Dodd-Frank Act stress test show that the capital positions of the largest U.S. banks remain strong in a very, well, we'll, we'll call it in a severely stressed scenario. So this enables most of the large banks to afford uh, pretty compelling dividend payouts. So those of you looking for income, this might be something to think about. Now, Lori Calvatina, you know, head of our equity strategy, she upgraded the financials to overweight just recently. Uh, I've got my names. You, you've got to do your own homework. The valuations are not demanding, uh, in, in her view anyway, with the top 20 bank stocks trading at basically book value on average and eight times their, their earnings per share estimate for 2023. She thinks the sector can serve as a cyclical function in portfolios as it tends to outperform when the ISM, Institute for Supply Management, manufacturing data is rising. If confidence in the 2024 economic recovery gathers steam, she believes the banks could benefit. All right, so that's something to think about. Now, the risk of adding banks to the portfolio now is that if the recession materializes, as the reliable lending indicators we we follow suggest, the sector could struggle. And, it, and they probably won't outperform the broader market for now. The recent pro-cyclical stock market run suggests a benign economic environment is being discounted, leaving banks vulnerable. 
in our view. So if a darker economic scenario prevails, you know, you got to be careful, okay? That's taking it from there. So, you know, back in, on May 16th, uh, we talked about, uh, actually, it was the week before that, we published uh, some stuff at RBC about what we call taking stock here. And we reported on narrow leadership in the equity markets this year. Uh, and, you know, it remained that way. The big seven, you know, uh, average year to date return more like doubling over the six weeks from that initial report to 98.7% of the S&P 500 gains. The S&P 500 index has gained a much smaller 18.4% on a total return basis. Going one step further, the hypothetical S&P 500 return Excluding these key seven leading names has returned just 6.7%. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. This, you know, if you're not in the big seven, I own most of them, um, but, you know, you got a problem. Okay. So clearly, narrow leadership remains a key theme for the year. Uh, now, we, we've, we've had some broadening out. Uh, Rob Schleimer has been talking about that. And it's pushed the SP 500 higher. And as a result, investors without overweight allocations to the mega caps, not, you know, uh, some people have the QQQs that, that uh, do business with me, some don't. Uh, but if you, the bigger portfolios usually have five of the seven anyway. But another factor of the narrow leadership is seen through the lens of comparing the S&P 500 against the S&P 500 equal weight on a valuation basis. These two indexes contain the same companies. The only difference being that the S&P 500 holds the stocks on a market-weighted basis, while the S&P 500 equal weight holds the stock at the same weights. One stock, one vote, okay? So the equal-weighted index is less sensitive to outside moves from the largest companies in the world and outperforms when the leadership is broad and not narrow as it is today. So when the equal-weight index lags, it, it may be accompanied by feelings of missing out on the part Investors, because it's lagging status, indicates that a very small part of the equity market is responsible for large pieces of the performance pie. Okay, so today the S&P 500 is far more expensive than the S&P 500 equal weight index on a price earnings basis. Okay, so if you don't know what price earnings, a price a PE ratio is price. So let's say it's a twenty dollars stock. If it earns two dollars, its PE ratio is ten. So the market leaders have such an outsized impact on this that we're we're, we're seeing the you know like the last ten years the S P five hundred has been this expensive relative to the S P five hundred equal weight index. Just one other time, immediately before the global pandemic started in February of twenty twenty, both Apple and Microsoft hit their highest valuations on record in post twenty twenty eight uh, two thousand eight year. Okay, so both companies were trading at P ratios of 30 times, and they're approaching those levels again. So the odds of another pandemic acting as a catalyst of those indexes are, are admittedly small. However, lower valuation multiples typically act as a relative buffer when negative markets, periodic bouts of strain occur, okay, which will come in the future, as sure as the sun rises in the east tomorrow, okay? So as of la July 14th, Last week, the S&P 500 is now trading at 20.8 times forward consensus earnings, not trailing forward. And its counterpart is 17.1%. That's a 21% premium. 
Okay, now there's a lot of companies within the equal weight that trade in the 13 to 14 times earnings. They're good companies. So historically, the premium has fluctuated over time, but today's level is elevated and marks a peak. Let me say it again, marks a peak over the last 10 years. Unless this time is really different and leadership does not widen into the in the future. However, <laughs> look, if, if you're looking at probabilistic thinking, it requires investors to understand the low probability of narrow leadership continuing. Okay, so leadership is likely to widen at some point in the future. And the future and both relative valuations and, you know, the rhythms, shall we call it, should cause the probability of widening leadership to grow. That's our, that's RBC's view, okay? So in order to cut through the noise, it could be helpful to zoom out and look at longer-term periods, okay? So comparing the S&P 500, sensitive to narrow leadership in largest companies, to a broad 60-40 stock and bond portfolio since January 1st of 2022, you'll see that this year's leadership has led the S&P 500 to outperformance of the traditional 60-40 portfolio. Remember, last fall, we were talking about bonds being back, okay? You know, if you get 5.5% for, for a year, okay, so bonds are back. But perhaps not to the degree investors would have expected. 10,000 invested in the S&P 500 and a traditional 60-40 portfolio consisting of 60% U.S. stocks, equal weight index, let's say, and a 40% U.S. bonds would have declined to 9,252 invested solely in the S&P 500 and 8,852 invested in the 60-40 portfolio. That's only a difference of 400 bucks, folks. It's only a distance of 400 bucks. All right, so the 60-40 ratio still works. We'll just leave it at that. I think we've got to take a break here. So let's, uh, we'll be right back and stay tuned. And this is Smart Investor Show. I don't know where I'm going. Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without break in the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. And the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online, GanleyChevyAurora.com. Find new roads. We call it the fairy godmother moment. That moment when we've fixed your problem, cleaned up to apple pie order, and are heading out the door. Why? Because we're not the hero of this story. You are. We're just privileged with the chance to come on the scene when you need us, walla kadoodle your problem away, and leave you to attend the ball. That's the fairy godmother moment. Except we want to do one more thing before waving goodbye. 
Give the important parts of your plumbing a flyby once over, ensuring your emergency water shutoffs are working, checking the age, safety, and condition of your water heater, and verifying your water pressure is not too high or low. We want to leave you with peace of mind that your plumbing system is good to go. So when you're feeling the glow of Why It Works Fairy Godmother moment and our straight talk and do it right plumber asks to do a flyby, now you know why. Because you're the main character and we want the rest of your movie to be as trouble free as possible. Consider it done at whyitworks.com. You listen to this radio station for truth at a time when truth is an endangered species. Now, we want to invite you to listen to our sister TV network, Salem News Channel. You'll find us in the App Store or online at salemnewschannel.com or on Roku or similar devices. You'll see Hugh Hewitt in the morning, followed by Mike Gallagher. You'll see Dennis Prager, followed by Sebastian Gorka. And at 5 Eastern time, our newest star, Andrew Wilkow, with Dinesh D'Souza at 7 Eastern. Salem News Channel, the antidote to the mainstream media. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. tuned in this is smart investor show uh, i'm tim hayes and uh, you know it was it, it was uh very interesting this week the the pce which is the price well it's it's the it's the main indicator that our good friends at the federal reserve look at uh as far as inflation is concerned and it cooled off pretty substantially and it's interesting you know uh will that be important Going for, further, you know, going further forward, will it be the last uh, rate increase? I, I don't know, but you know, if you look, um, look, I, I think it's important that you know we talked about this. This was supposed to be the year of the bond, and uh, it never turned out that way. And uh, you know, so it was it was kind of. Uh, an interesting time, um, but we, we did have uh, a scenario where, you know, we just remember we were uh, for a long, long time uh, looking at seventy-five basis points every time the Fed met. Now we did a quarter, then we took a month off, and we did another quarter. So I guess my question is, uh, are we getting close to uh, the end? You know, is it, is it the beginning or the end? Uh, I was, you know, so I, I guess the point is, are they going out with a whimper, uh, which you'd hope so after five and a quarter percentage points. But so, I, I mean, I listened to Powell and on uh, this month's meeting and it was no different. You know, he he's talking about data dependency and all that good stuff. and. Uh, he took great pains to say absolutely nothing <laughs> new while keeping all options going forward on the table. So uh, before making a very notably brisk exit stage left, uh, 
you know, so when the Fed kicked off this rate hike cycle back in March of 2022, it was also a 25 basis point move amid outlook for, you know, future gradual rate hikes. And then, you know, they started doing 75 uh, basis points. And while another rate hike remains some, somewhere on the table, I think, traders currently project just a 25% chance. So are we in economic nirvana? You know, late last year, Powell stated that while economic soft landings are still possible, the path had narrowed. Uh, that was one notable takeaway. But one of the things that, uh, you know, our people are saying is that, you know, it's it's affecting less and less people out there uh, because of, of a simple fact, and and that is that, you know, most people have locked in their mortgage rate. That's why there's not much inventory out there in the mortgage market. I mean, on the housing market, they've locked in, you know, like two and three quarters percent, three percent. So, you know, they bought their car for 1.9 percent. So, you know, car prices are going to probably be affected coming forward. But uh, so anyway, something to think about anyway. So, you know, Rob Slimer, um, he he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, hold on. <laughs> Look at the wrong thing here. He was talking about the longer-term cycle backdrop for equities, and he thinks it still remains positive. And he thinks the monthly momentum indicators continuing to build positively from very oversold levers, levels back in quarter four. Matter of fact, it was the most oversold I have seen it in my career. Okay, uh, so that's pretty oversold. If I'm not a spring chicken anymore, all right. So the, I guess the key is here that the relative trend versus bonds is breaking out to cycles new highs. And all I'm doing is I'm comparing stocks versus bonds here, okay, uh, on a relative strength basis. So the S&P's advanced decline line is breaking out to new cycle highs, and it's above the 2022 peak. So, you know, we see a lot of positive stuff in the long run, all right? So July has delivered a very positive return consistent with its seasonality. You know, July is usually a good year. Well, August returns have been muted heading into September. Remember, September is the worst year of the month, worst year, worst month of the year. I'm sorry, which is often, you know, it's a weak period for equities. So a similar pullback moving into, you know, the third quarter uh, would not be a surprise in our opinion, but should not disrupt the improving longer term cycle backdrop. All right, this is important. Uh, you know. Rob thinks that we're in a long-term secular bull market. Uh, and you said, oh, but you know, the last year was terrible. Well, remember, in, in the last secular bull market, we had 1987, which you know, went, we went down 25% in a day. And then we had Saddam Hussein rolled in the town. Okay, So you can have these bears within bull, long-term bulls. But he says, with breath improving, that means participation continues to show evidence of a broadening from technologies which dominated the first half to more cyclical areas, mostly, most notable, industrials, which are cheap, okay? So they're the high beta stocks we've been talking about, and more recently, financials and energy, okay? So that's that's important. You know, look, financials and energy are really under-owned, just so you know, uh, institutionally, as well as, you know, retail clients. So, eh. So a short term, however, you know, a pause or a pullback remains kind of likely. 
Uh, you know, last Thursday was, you know, uh, uh, what happened basically is right around one o'clock in the, in, in the afternoon, the market just tanked. And it was, it was some comments made by the uh, Japanese uh, head bank, head of their, uh, their bank. And so, look, growth stocks have come a long way. They're likely to pause. Um, they're, they have very advanced levels in some cases. But the rebound in cyclicals uh, is kind of overbought near term. It, there's still room to go, you know. So what you want to do is is waiting for the stocks, not buying them up. Is what I'm trying to tell you. In addition, some rotation to oversold defensive sectors is beginning to take hold. Of uh, our expectation is the recovery in utilities and staples is short term, not the beginning of a long term defensive rotation. Who knows? We may be wrong, but. You know, bottom line, we remain very encouraged by the technical behavior of the equity markets as participation broadens beyond growth and technology stocks. Okay, so the rapid sector rotation is likely to continue through the summer with lagging areas such as energy, select financials, and select healthcare relatively early in a new intermediate term up terms. But if it, it, it's rotation nation, as Rob says, okay? So you're looking for, you know, it's hard because you think you're buying into something and boom, you get whack, okay? So for longer-term investors, we continue to view a balanced portfolio of secular and cyclical growth stocks, along with select names for income as well as positioned to navigate the balance of the year, okay? So... The ten-year yield. Look, um, we talk, Rob talked about this, and we talked about this numerous times on our uh, show. The ten-year yield broke a forty-year downtrend, folks. I, I don't think we're going back to zero interest rates. So, you know, we were bottoming, uh, and he thinks there's a test of the four, you know, four point oh nine percent likely in the coming weeks. Okay, so. We expect a 10-year yield to remain range-bound, but would view a move above 4.09 as a signal inflationary concerns are again an issue. And then the next test would be 4.33%, okay? So that's something you got to keep in, in the back of your head, I think. And the relative performance uptrend of growth versus values begin to peak. Uh, and it, Well, it's begin to... It's, begin to break its 2023 uptrend as further evidence that the first half market leadership is pausing for a while, okay? With, because of the part, you know, participation is broadening. That's what's important. Cyclicals versus safety. You know, safety is pick, picking up a little bit. Cyclicals had been leaving. So I think the longer term for the high beta versus the, the low volatility remains very bullish. But near term, you know, it continues to unfold following the strong second quarter rebound. Uh, obviously, semiconductors remain a dominant influence in this relationship. And when most of the semis continue to trade choppy sideways trends after strong rallies in second quarter, we view the recent pause to be healthy. It's a healthy technical event. Expect pullbacks to be relatively short-lived in the third quarter. I, I will mention the AAIA, U.S. investor bullish sentiment is up there again, okay? I get Nervous when everybody gets bullish. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you know, uh, you know the bear sentiment is, is faded and the bullish sentiment is, is picked up. 
you know, so we get that from Bloomberg, by the way. So um, I got to mention that. So you got to be careful. So look, generational cycles usually last 16 to 18 years, but we have a three to four year cycle within that usually. We're coming to the end of the four-year cycle. The four-year cycle should start in 2024. They don't ring a bell at the bottom, okay? The bell's probably rung already. So, But if, if we were to break to a new high, remember, the transports are, are leading the way, and it's mostly the trucking transport, so we'll see what happens there. If utilities pick up, you know, and the Dow picks up, that's a Dow buy signal. But, you know, so this repetitive four-year cycle is something you got to consider when you invest. A sickle low develops every four years, and during the this, this secular bull markets, this, the cycle regularly bottoms at the four-year uh, or the 200-week moving average, shall we say, which is exactly what happened here, with an average rally of 111%, an average decline of 23%, which is exactly what we had going forward. So um, I'll, I'll leave that to you. We talk about the wealth plan here on the show a lot. I think the wealth plan is something you should participate with. We also have the family inventory workbook. If you go to WHK1420 local podcast down to my, you can go directly from my smart investor show to my webpage. Look, you can do a wealth plan without signing up with us. Okay. I highly recommend that you sign up with us because I know people who are out there who did a wealth plan with us and they didn't sign up and they got beat up last year. I know they did. <laughs> I know relatives. So anyway, the wealth plan, without a plan, you know, Alice said to the Cheshire camp when she came to the fork and road, which way should I go? And he said, well, where are you trying to go? I'm not sure. The road will get you there then. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Knowledge to new heights this year on the 2023 Eagle Financial Publications Cruise. Join us along with The Money Show on a luxury voyage to the Caribbean and learn from top financial experts like George Gilder and Mark Skelson through workshops and seminars. Relax and refresh, all while discussing investment strategies with like-minded individuals. Secure your spot today at EagleFinancialCruise.com. That's EagleFinancialCruise.com. Eagle Financial is a division of Salem Media Group. November 2nd, 2020, marked the 100th anniversary of the first commercial radio broadcast. We're still here, and we're bigger and better than ever. You can still listen to us over this great radio station. But now, there are no limitations. Your smartphone is now your smart radio. Listen to us online on the app, TuneIn.com, iHeartRadio, and Odyssey.com. Your smart speaker can find us, too. With radio, there is no separation anxiety. We're always on. AM 1420 is your answer. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Up 
Okay, we're back. You just tuned in. This is the Smart Investor Show. And, you know, I, I talked about uh, our data center liquid cooling market publication. And I just want you to know that Dean Dre was on TV last week. Uh, he was on CNBC. So you heard about it four, four or five weeks ahead of time. Uh, a lot of my clients bought the stocks. I, I, then they popped on me, and I had to wait for it. I'm waiting for a pullback, but I don't don't know if that's going to happen. But look, our view is this: next gen AI chips and servers require advanced cooling technology that traditional HVAC cannot handle. So advances in three types of liquid cooling system are seeing twenty plus twenty five percent growth, as only a single digit percentage of rack developments employ advanced cooling techniques. Let me say that again. Only a single digit percentage of rack deployments employ advanced cooling techniques. So currently, many high density racks are cooled by containment technologies or techniques or localized approaches such as a rear door heat exchanger. Uh, Many startups are chasing this high growth opportunity, the proliferation of AI Edge computing and next-gen servers continue to boost data, sister, uh, data center power requirements, resulting in denser configurations. So, you, so your what you call your server ha- warehouse, all right? You know, there's REITs out there that just have servers in their warehouses, okay? Uh, and th- these continuations, they need a step-up function in, in cooling demand with air cooling systems from legacy, you know, data center. HVAC have made some advances. There are physics thresholds beyond which air cooling becomes an impractical, impractical, practical, sorry, it's Saturday, solution. Our research indicates that once data centers densities reach in excess of 30 kilowatts, uh, liquid cooling emerges as the most viable and cost-effective option for cooling and rapidly more of a must-have. Okay, so presently the liquid cooling market is modest, with a total addressable market of about two to three billion. The market is seeing is seeing robust growth though, twenty five percent, outpacing the overall data center infrastructure market with hyperscale players moving the fastest. So what I'm saying here is you can play AI lots of ways. One of the ways is cooling. Okay, so look, I I I got cut off because we we finished our segment. The wealth plan. I'm telling you, if you don't have a plan, you're in trouble. The family inventory workbook is a great piece because what it does is it organizes you. So not only are you organized with a family inventory workbook, but you've got a wealth plan. All right. So in financial planning, those are the two things you need most. So if we can combine. Moving your portfolio ahead, we've we've done a pretty good job for most people, all right? And knowing that you have this plan out there. Look, I, I told two people several weeks ago, go on vacation. You've got plenty of money, okay? The one couple, they're great folks. They have they took all their grandkids down to Florida. And I said, you could probably do this twice a year now, all right, based on what we're seeing. And by taking... And look, all I'm doing is seeing the probabilities of success, okay? So if we, we send them down to Florida twice a year with their grandchildren, their probabilities of success are still 97, 98%. They were at 99. No big problem. I mean, you could probably go down to 
75% and not worry about it. And the family inventory workbook, I can't tell you. Uh, there was a guy who was a Marine, came to see me last year. He, did, he finished the family inventory workbook and he died. And his wife says, does he have an account with you? I said, no, he doesn't. I said, she says, well, thank you for doing this. I said, he, he did it. He was just smart enough to do it. He must have known something was wrong, maybe. I don't know. You know, and, and so he had 13 brokerage accounts. He had seven insurance policies. Okay. You imagine what the confusion would have been trying to find all those? <laughs> I mean, if they had my wife's <laughs> uh, filing system, it's near next to impossible. That's why I had to put one together. So there we go. So the year of the bond didn't pan out. Okay. Everybody was talking about it, but inflation has been public enemy num number one. And I think, you know, uh, if you look at the 10 year treasury yield, we've broken out of a 40 year downtrend, folks. We ain't going back to quarter of a point. It ain't happening. There's too much money in the system. Not only did, you know, the Federal Reserve had a problem, you know, they, they opened up the taps to save us, basically, in the pandemic. They didn't turn it on in time. And then Congress went on a spending spree. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm hearing like they, they have appropriations bills, which, by the way, started, I think, you know, in April and really hit ground in uh, July 1st of $6 trillion. And then they did an omnibus, omnibus bill of $1.7 trillion. So government spending is going to keep us out of recession, but it will be inflationary, I think. And so I, I don't think the Fed's coming back. For a while, okay. I don't, uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, you know, whether we slow down or not, I don't know. But just remember, in that bill uh, is is a lot of uh, infrastructure spending. So something to think about: infrastructure spending. But it's clear that the worst of the pandemic inflation breakout is almost certainly in the rearview mirror. Okay. The question now is how long it will take to fall all the way back to the target levels that the Fed has. Now, RBC capital markets express the most major economies will see inflation back more towards normal levels, maybe in early 2024. That's that four-year cycle again, which we think could should keep any potential central bank cuts at bay roughly until that same time, by the way. So if you're, if, if you're expecting a cut in interest rates, you know, we're not predicting that. So the total returns delivered by bonds this year, uh, I think the best is about like plus 2%. Um, and that's if you bought at the peak. And in the U.S., we've we've dialed back our expectations somewhat on the high single digits, something to 4 to 6% range, as we see bonds likely to deliver a little more than the coupons paid this year. So, you know, what do we do now? Okay, I'm going to tell you, dividend stocks, and a lot of the S&P 500 are not participating. The Magnificent Seven have been, you know, kicking everybody's, you know, posterior. But there's going to come a time, you know, when you want to have these dividend growth in the prime income list. Remember, 40% of the return of the S&P 500 over the last 75 years has been dividends. So, look, I think... You know, and Lori Calvacina and some other people think that we're going to, the leadership's going to spread. So what we're going to have is, you remember, we always talk about the knights and the kings going out to war. 
Well, if you don't have the foot soldiers, the supply train, the archers, you know, you're in trouble. You're not going to win the war that way. So we need a spreading out. The question is what happens to the Magnificent Seven or whatever they may call themselves. But the point is, it's now probably a good time to buy yield. So just remember, when yields are up and the price of the yield instrument is down, is the best time to buy. Okay? So dividend stocks, dividend growth, and the prime income list would be a good place to start. I highly recommend it. So go to WHK's webpage, go to local podcast, down to my web, you know, go Smart Investor Show to my podcast. And don't forget the insight. Remember, we have uh, right now, out with a whimper, good thing, income plans, very good thing. Uh, de-dollarization, that's something you got to keep in the back of your mind and, and keep going. And then you can also send away for the data center, cooling information. The dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, our small cap list, our top ideas, and our ADR list. You know, I think uh, Europe is pretty cheap compared to the U.S. We'll keep that. Don't forget to talk, call me on about a wealth plan, set up an appointment, do a wealth plan, and do a family inventory workbook. In the meantime, stay dry. <laughs> it looks like we're going to have more rain today. Uh, and this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Have a great weekend. And remember, to buy low and sell high. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.